Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 22 and 23 of The Dragon Reborn, The Price of the Ring, and Sealed. Enjoy! All right, welcome to season three, episode nine. Um, before we get into anything else, want to start by welcoming two new patrons to our patron family. First, we have the Black Tower podcast join us as a patron. So thank you so much, all you guys. Uh, we, we love you guys. We loved when you guys were on. We'll definitely have you on again at some point. Um, but thanks for your patronage. And our newest one, just before we started recording uh, tonight, is Hedski. I think it's how you pronounce it, Hedski. Um, so welcome, thank you, and uh, and we appreciate that. So um, anybody else who wants to join, you get live recordings every single week, um, at least for the most part. Every once in a while we skip a week. Well, I think we've only done that once, but um, or we skip a week and do a double recording. But yeah, it's yeah, come get live recordings. It's a dollar a month for live recordings. It's worth it. Uh, $5 gets you early release and bonus episodes. And then uh, uh, higher tiers get you more stuff, merchandise, things like that. So with that being said, any other milestones that we're at? Um, nothing big except for Discord. We are actually two Discord members away from being at 400 people on our Discord Ooh. channel. Oh. Sure. Yeah, we're at 398. So um, if anybody's listening to us next week... Yeah, so the way I the way I check it is you can actually look at the invite, and when you look at the invite, it says how many people are in there and how many people are online. Um, so that's how I check it. I don't actually go and count them all, but um, and I don't know if there's any other way to check it. But um, yeah. So yeah, so that's yeah. I was four hundred. You can count everybody on the members list. Uh, I, 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 before I found that little trick where I can actually do an invite and see it, I used to actually do that, but that was only when we had like fifty people in the server. So it wasn't as bad. I, I don't want to do that anymore. Gotcha. <laughs> do not want to do that anymore. So anyway, um, yeah. So almost there in Discord. If you guys listen to us next week, you're not part of our Discord. Get in here. It's fun. Um, other than that, yeah, nothing else. We're almost at forty thousand downloads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're almost at forty thousand downloads. Uh, so getting pretty close to that. Well over thirty nine thousand. Um, getting close. So probably by next week, we'll get 40,000 downloads. Um, nothing else as far as social media goes, as far as milestones. Uh, they've grown, but yeah, nothing more than that. Moving on to other business, we did do a couple giveaways. Um, last week, I announced that we were going to give away a shot glass um, for someone that picked the right number. Um, and someone did. So the number was 42, uh, which oh, surprise, surprise. Of course. Um, and the person who won that was Loop Malin. So he's a shot. We'll read shot glass coming towards him. And then um, the other giveaway that we did was a book. So that was on Twitter. And we had a bunch of people uh, get involved with that. And the book winner was the Joshua Macer. The Joshua Macer. So um, I will get in touch with him and get details so i can go ahead and ship a 
a hardcover copy of the Dragon Reborn out to him. Um, what do you say? Is it the or the? Yeah. And other announcements next week, we have a guest. So the Wheel Takes podcast uh, with Allie and Gus are coming on to uh, hang out with us and do the next three chapters with us. So I'm excited. Um, Allie's a first time reader. If you guys have not heard their podcast, it's fantastic. Um, Gus is a veteran um, and they are an engaged couple betrothed. And um, I think they're getting married soon from what I here i think they had to push back the wedding because of covid but uh, pretty soon and yeah so um excited to have them on our our podcast and um and, and it should be a whole lot of fun uh alley plane veteran because they're they're just got finished with the fourth book so they're they're a little bit ahead of us so yeah excited about that and then the last thing is location so i started doing this like i guess about a month or two ago uh, doing a location and I've been doing different countries. So I'm going to go back to the United States and talk about a state that we have listeners from. So, you know, give some love from locally. Uh, so we have listeners in Alaska. So thank you. Um, ah, cool. you know, I, I, I do have one friend from Ian and I have a friend from high school that lives in Alaska. So I don't know if it's them that listens to us in, Nome. in Nome, Alaska. And I and actually <laughs> recently she has posted some pictures and it looks really cold. So, um, yeah, <laughs> like really cold. Um, like I think she actually posted a picture, and one of her relatives commented, "Like, are you on the ocean right now? Like, she's on a, a frozen. Like, they walk out into the ocean because the ocean's completely frozen solid up there. Mm. Um, yeah, Nome, Alaska's up northern Alaska, so like, wow. it's yeah, the ocean freezes over. That's not yeah no that was a thing that's not for me <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's really cold <laughs> like no i I've, I have no intention of ever ever maybe going in the summertime but never in the winter yeah. yeah yeah that's way too cold <laughs> <laughs> anyway so on to personal life um couple of things in personal life. One thing that was kind of a bummer is, is uh, well, I guess a bummer in one way and actually excited in another way. Uh, Jordan Khan uh, has been postponed till the summer. Our, you know, pending it. They haven't set a date yet for it, but it's not going to be in April. It's going to be in, uh, hopefully in the summer, pending on 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 vaccinations and, and where we are with the, with the pandemic. So the great thing about that is at least they didn't cancel it uh, and just postponed it. So I'm kind of excited um, that they might still have it this year. But fingers crossed. We'll see. I don't know if my summer will actually get it or not. Eh. We'll see. We will see. Um, the other thing's new is, you know, uh, just been working at home still. Um, trying to still adjust to working at home with my, my wife and my daughter are at home all day long as well. So it's um, being on Zoom calls. And my daughter always likes to come into, into the office when I'm on a Zoom call and start screaming. Um uh-huh. She thinks it's funny. Like she doesn't scream like I'm upset. She'll just start like squealing, screaming, like laughing. So <laughs> it's just kind of like, yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> so, yeah, just getting getting used to that. <laughs> Gosh, she's such a cute kid though. Like when you yeah, see it, is. I'm sure you're probably like for that momentary piss and you're like, Well, you're cute, so you get away with it again. 
Oh, I always always warn people that like, yeah, I'm zooming from home and I got a dog and a and a one year old. So either one might start screaming at any given time for for no reason at all. So just fair warning. <laughs> Dog's cute too. Yeah, but she'll just start barking at anything. I mean, she'll hear like a twig snap out in the backyard and and lose her lose her mind. <laughs> so how about you guys? What's going on in personal life? Oh, working like crazy. Uh, been going in the office a lot. Um, uh, with everything y'all have seen in the news and various protests and people just losing their ever loving minds. Um, you know, I work at a federal courthouse right across from uh, the Capitol here in Virginia. Uh, we also have a lot of construction projects going on, and one that's going on outside in our retaining walls all tore up. We're trying to secure the site. And it's right in the area that people generally gather when they're protesting at the Capitol. So we've just been crazy busy getting ready for that and trying to get it to a point where they can wrap up some significant portions of work. And then by Thursday, we really got to secure the site. Uh, there's stuff planned for this weekend and then stuff planned for next weekend. So I've, I've just been really preoccupied with that. Um, let's see. Oh, last time I mentioned... Uh, I finally went on a, a date with somebody that I met with this online dating business. I was joking with Alan beforehand, like how miserable it's been. He's like, oh, but you went on a date and you said it was fun. And yes, it was. She's super awesome. We're going to see each other again. Um, you know, it may end up as friends, maybe more. Who knows? But what I had to go through to find this one normal person, like it's just not freaking worth it. It is the online dating scene right now is just atrocious. Um, and I'll say this. We could talk about this another day. But I'm starting to hate guys more and more. Because the shitbags out there make it really hard for those of us that try to be a gentleman to even have a conversation with a woman. Because they're just so defensive because of all the, the BS. Uh, and I'm rambling now, but whatever. We have time. Uh, and thanks for the cosign, Chris, because it's true. <laughs> I've totally. so in this process I have you know matched with some and then you know immediately there really wasn't there was something that came up where neither one of us was like okay romantically this isn't going anywhere that's a showstopper but we've continued talking like friendly chatting and I've had on two occasions you know just friendly conversation and talking about the whole dating scene in general and they started sending me screenshots of the stuff they're getting I thought oh. I thought, you know, the bad part would be guys sending nudes and dick pics, like, right off the bat. Like, I thought that would be the bad part. There's worse stuff out there. There's guys that, like, if they don't respond quick enough or if they show that they're not interested, the guys, like, flip out on them and curse yeah. them out all, all these horrible things. And I don't, I don't get that. Like, we need uh, – I don't know. Maybe there's ways to report these people, but if not, they're – there needs to be some task force, some laws, some whatever. But some of the stuff I read was absolutely crazy. Those guys need to be put in a mental institute. So I'm sorry for all of you girls, that females that deal with this online all the time. I mean, I knew it was bad, but it's just really bad. There's horrible, horrible people out there. So, Agreed. Yeah. My friend Alan Hinton, another Alan, is going through the similar process where he is you know, 35 and single is like, ah, maybe I'll try a couple of websites. And there, either people have been so hurt 
or so, I hate to use the word damaged in reference to a person, but so damaged by another that there's like a huge inability to trust. And then there's the other side of it where like women have become much like men used to be thought as, like they're just there for the sex just as much as anybody else. And he's like not about that life. He's trying to find somebody to settle down with. And he's gotten approached a couple of times like, well, this is what I want. Like, if this is what you want, we can do this. He's like, no, that's that's not my goal. And then the other side of it is like, oh, well, I, I was hurt by this guy. So I was hurt by that guy. So it, it almost now is, I hate to use the word an excuse, but a lot of people use their hurt to be upset at everybody. And that really sucks. I'm fortunate to have found Chanel, though she had been hurt by a guy prior. She had come to terms with what had happened and she's ready to carry on a conversation. Uh, it made her very much straightforward, which was super nice. But again, it took a lot to find her and it's taken my friend Alan H a lot harder, longer to find somebody. So, Yeah. And Welcome then- to the Will Reed's dating hotline where we're <laughs> going to talk all about online dating tonight. Just... I just want to use this mic and use this. <laughs> Let me just say something. So, like, all right, as far as my week is concerned, the week has been really good, actually. Like, it's just been busy, like, correcting. We we have been told now that middle schoolers have a midterm, which I don't know that didn't know that middle schoolers had midterms. So I had to rewrite all of my lesson plans, which those that are teachers have taught, you know, how horrible that is to have to throw off the entire schedule for a month because of a test that makes no sense in taking because the kids are all virtual and we have SOLs, which those are our standard of learning tests, which makes no sense since the kids, again, aren't here for us to really teach as well as we, well, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job, but there are a lot of people who don't feel like their kids are going to be up to par for a nationally recognized certification that directly impacts accreditation, but that's neither here nor there. It just sucks for the kids. It sucks for us teachers. Um, and then just looking at things going on in the world, it's it always makes you think. So Miss um, Chanel has a in, potential interview on Friday. We're not sure if it's just her meeting with somebody or if it will actually turn into an interview. Um, but that job would keep her in Charlotte, which is not in the plan. So, you know, just really seeing where life is taking the two of us and seeing what's going to happen here. You know, I kind of put the cart before the horse. We've already had some serious future talks. So I've already started conversations with their dad and have already looked at slash may have purchased a ring and that's going to happen eventually. Um, It's actually been five months, believe it or not. And it will be a lot longer before I actually use the ring, but, um, and she's not listening. So I can tell this. Um, at the end of the day, I have to not be a selfish person if this job opportunity becomes something big. So um, for those that pray, pray that I can be selfless in that moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Life is funny like that, huh? It really is. Yeah. A lot of times you just got to let go and let God. Well, really all the time, but it's, we get caught up. Yeah. Let's let's move on to uh, some wheel of time, guys. Actually, we're, we're out of time, guys. No, that's time. it for this week. Uh, yeah, until next time. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, we have uh, predictions. Ring. What? What's that? 
The price of the ring. Go ahead to your prediction. Uh, the pri- I'm ready to start. Ooh, predictions on the price of the ring. I, I don't know, man. Uh, those things are expensive. Like, absurdly so. I was talking about chapter 22, but if you want to continue the other. Have you ever noticed that, like, Alan's guy, his voice has become much sexier with this new mic? Like, it's almost seductive. Like, give me goosebumps. Exactly. All the patrons, we appreciate you. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're talking about the chapter, Dean, not not the price of the ring, the, the chapter title. Not, yeah, <laughs> it's expensive. <laughs> anyway, so predictions. Um, so for last week, uh, one prediction was that all dreams are pretty much one and the same. Um, that, you know, the, the parents' dreams and, and Rand's dreams, the balls I'm on, and Egwene's dream walking, that they're kind of all connected and linked. And that's one prediction. Um, Ian's prediction is that Celine slash Lanfear might actually be good. Um, yes. So that was a that was a prediction. And then the last one was that Matt is still probably not healed right. That was another prediction as well. So time will tell. It's all the predictions, guys. So now to be fair, in these dating apps, when in her little profile, she's like, uh, I I'm so mixed up. I'm a horrible person. You should just run away from me. I'm like, mm, match, click. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what the hell do I know? Uh, anyways. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to chapter 22, The Price of the Ring. <laughs> and, uh, and the icon is the Flame of Tarvalin. So, um, yeah, we start. Uh, anything about this? Uh, uh, I guess, you know, when I first read this, and this is just me, we like the, the last chapter ends with, with Egwene getting that, that Terry Angriol ring, the dreaming ring. Correct. So you when think I the next chapter is going to be, yeah. I'm going to go there with you because you read the book. So I'm going to go there prior. I thought that the price of the ring was going to be a direct impact of the ring that she just received on her. Like how taxing it is. She attempts to use it and she like enters into the dreamscape and she gets hurt or like something crazy occurs because she uses the ring. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. after reading the chapter, we know that that's partially the case. The ring does play a role, but it has nothing to do with her using the ring. Right. And also the double meaning of the price of the ring, the armament or the, the I said I ring she gets at the end of this as well. So that's the, it's the, there's two oh, God, rings. I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This Even is what she has to, to go through. Yeah, so there's there's double meaning. There's lots, lots of meanings to this chapter. It's it's yeah. So it's fun. It's fun how they did that. <laughs> but yeah, so let's go ahead and start. So um, it starts with Egwene leaving Varen's room and runs right into Sherium uh, as uh, as she leaves. And you know, the first thing that that Egwene does is start stuttering. Like uh, you know, Varen told me to be here. You know, trying to cover up herself, and she's nervous around Sherium. Um, you know, that, that, that Sherry might ask to look at the papers that Egwene has. So she's trying to make a bunch of excuses. So that's where we start with a really super sketched out Egwene. Well, I, I think we really start with a really perturbed Sherium. She's like, okay. someone had remembered that Baron, Baron speaking to you, might, I might not have found you. 
which goes to show that people are already paying attention to Egwene. Now, whether that was just circumstance or happenstance or whatever, or if um, there's some deeper meaning to that, maybe we'll find out eventually. But, she, you know, Sherry's really perturbed that Egwene isn't ready for whatever it is Egwene's supposed to be ready for, which we know is, you know, her trial, which it's like, wow. And then, yeah, you do have Egwene who's just, just came from speaking with Varen, and she has these new, very pieces of important information that she realizes only two other people really should be privy to. And they're in her hands, and they're visible, and she has a terror on Grial, so it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> She's just freaked out. I just, it was hard for me even just starting out because I'm still suspicious of Shiriam. I go back to, gosh, we, this, I've said this a million times since we started this series. I don't know who to trust. And I, I think the risks are so high in the White Tower right now that if you trust the wrong person, I mean, it could be your life or worse. Um, and Shiriam's on my list of people I don't trust, so... Well, hasn't that always been the warning, too? Like, you, you never quite know who to trust because, you know, all Aes Sedai kind of talk half-truths and their their language is to benefit them. And, you know, we even get this warning at the end of the chapter. And Shiriam, after the Grey Man chapter, definitely bumps up on the level of, like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. So Sherry quickly tells her that the reason she's there is not to figure out what she's doing with Varen. She could care less about that. The reason she's there is because she's to be raised right now. Like, no preparation. You're, you're been summoned. You're supposed to go down to the basement to where the where those uh, arches are and take your accepted test immediately. And Egwene uh, kind of protests, said, well, I'm not ready. And, uh, you know, says, are you not allowed to refuse? And, you know, they kind of go through the same thing you can, but yeah, here's the rules, and yeah, and also told them that Elaine already already went through. So come on, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. I kind of thought Elaine would be the first person to back down. Um, you know, she she seems headstrong, but then in her moments, she has her weaknesses. So I was surprised for the sense that it's Elaine, but not surprised for the sake of the story itself. Um. And then the unpreparedness that Egwene had, it was as if she wasn't told, but based on what Sherriam said, she was supposed to know that she was being raised that night. So I don't know what Varen's play was either, though, because Varen kind of gave her all of this stuff the night she was supposed to be raised accepted. Wouldn't you think all the Aes Sedai would realize that and be eager to help her prepare for that situation and not putting more on her? I don't know. Good question. Baron wanted some of these things to occur or something. I'm going to join the conspiracy theory realm with Ian here. (laughs) I mean, I was going to hop into that eventually, and and we'll come back to it again (laughs) at the end. But I don't don't disagree with you. Uh, Well, now we have to kind of touch it. We won't go too far. So one of two things. She's either oblivious in her thoughts, and it's just a jumbled wealth of information, but she seems more thoughtful than that. 
So I feel like she would have known what she was doing. And then if she knew what she was doing, was she doing it out of like um, evil motives, malice, discontent, something like that? Or was it just the brown curiosity of, well, shit, I want to see what happens if we mix these two together? Not the same thing. <laughs> because that'd be a very brown thing to do. Like, huh. I'm going to this ring. I'm going to go to there and fuck it. Let's break, let's break the leg and see what happens. <laughs> exactly. Right? That also would not surprise me. So, uh, so what I was going to say on this section, uh, I, I know we have some folks in the crowd that uh, – are uh, either in the military or, or been around it enough, so you might appreciate this. But uh, one time as an E4, I had just passed my E5 board to make sergeant, did really well on it, hadn't quite been promoted yet, and we're downrange in Iraq. And I'm like my one day off, chilling in my tent, and first sergeant pokes his head in, which in our personal area, that, that doesn't happen too often. He goes, hey. Specialist Harris, uh, we had we had somebody sign up for the board here from the unit, and they're on mission now, uh, or they're, they're going to be on mission. Something that in fact, do you want do you want to go to the board? And I was like, uh, okay, yeah, sure, uh, I guess. Why not? Um, let's see, how much time do I have to get ready? He's like, it's right now. Come with me. <laughs> so like, I don't know if y'all have ever been or if you're familiar with uh, military boards, but they just grill you with a million questions about anything and everything and different boards have different topics. So I was totally unprepared and just getting blindsided. So anyways, I'm not saying I could relate to what Egwene went through here. This is a little more crazy, but it definitely made me think of that and that oh shit moment. Like, wait, now? <laughs> kind of a big thing to just kind of throw on me there uh, for started. <laughs> yeah, grab your shit. Let's go. Pretty much. Yeah, so they get down to the testing room, and you get another description of it. Uh, I know we got one in the last book when Nynaeve took her test, um, but it's that big domed room, and it has these uh, three connecting arches in the center, and pretty much nothing else in the room. Um, but yeah, that's it. Unless you guys want to go into the description more, we can go right into uh, the next character that we run into, our good old red sister. Yeah, we're, we're kind of familiar with the room already. There isn't, there's nothing yeah. too out of the ordinary with the physical space right now. Sure. So yeah, um, so we, we Elida's there, and she's she's uh, being Elida. So <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's go into kind of Elida's reaction to Egwene even being there, and um, you know, she's kind of being yeah a red I mean, her sister. First statement, not before time. <laughs> <laughs> all right so to save some time alan just copy everything i said about shirium and then plop it in right here and then remarks complete all right sounds good <laughs> so could be evil elida's also evil shirium's evil farron's evil they're all Everyone's evil. evil they're all evil well when i say oh. that you got to add a question mark and the like inflection's got to go up at the end like a question like Baron's evil 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 Celine's good <laughs> anyways so yeah a lot of thinks that she should not be raised that that this is a mockery of the of the accepted test and that Egwene has no right to be there 
um, and demand, but, but Elida also had demanded to be part of the ceremony. So they kind of like shut her up saying, Hey, Elida, you said you want to be here, do your part. Um, and um, yeah. And then they get their same warnings like Nynaeve did um, about the, the terror on real that people sometimes don't come out of it. Um, and, and Egwene accepts it, uh, sits down her papers and starts getting super nervous. She's like, wait, I have to go inside there and they can get through my stuff while I'm in there. So She's she's super nervous going into this. So before we get to her actually going in. She didn't want Elida to have the opportunity, nor Shiriam, to be honest with you, to look at the papers. Um, You can see already that there's just a high level of mistrust, and rightfully so. And, like, Elida is being very nasty to Elaine, but this is a moment, or sorry, to Gwaine, but this is a moment where she really should be a little bit more understanding because she realizes that she's about to go through her trials. And at least Shiriam was being softer at this moment and giving her some grace. And she's like, you know, you don't have to do this right now. You have, you're given three chances. Like you don't have to take this opportunity. Now you can wait a little bit longer. It was funny that like Shiriam said with such definity, if that's even a word at the very beginning, like this time tomorrow, you will wear the ring. But then we get to this point and she's like, it's okay. Even I didn't take the offer the first time around. No one would hold it against you. But if you take it, then you must finish or else. So. Yeah, that, that's the part I was going to add in the reassuring her mentioning that even she didn't do it the first time. And assuming that they can't lie directly like that. And it was a very direct statement. Um, you know, that should have been a reassuring option for Egwene, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, but also we we haven't been told like it's not like an automatic five day retry. We don't know how long until they give you the opportunity again, do we? So no, like, I, if, I don't if think that's... If, if she were to decline, technically it could be a year before she gets a chance again, right? We have no way of knowing. Yeah, I, I don't don't think it's ever answered. Yeah, so I guess Egwene's got to weigh that a little bit. Sure. So yeah, so she goes through all the proper, you know, strips down naked, puts all her clothes and uh, the ring and everything on the bench. And then Alana, one of the Aes Sedai, um, starts to notice something's weird about the rings. Like she said, they're acting weird. It's not just, you know, it's like kind of like a weird buzz going on. She went in there with a strange buzz. <laughs> a little, little heady. <laughs> yep, yep. So, I mean, but they kind of dismiss it. They're like, oh, yeah, it's nothing. Keep going. It's like a reverb. Yeah, exactly. So were you guys, when you guys were first reading this, I mean, obviously we find out towards the end what it's all about, but were you nervous about that or did you guys? Well, think I had wondered whether out? or not the, the black Aja had tampered with oh. the system like that. That is where my mind instantly went was okay. Who fucked with it? Like, and mm-hmm. what was the purpose? Were they trying to stop the Aja from growing in numbers by tampering with the accepted you know, tool? I mean, if you don't go through it, you can't become Aja. And if you can't become Aja, then their numbers dwindle. And then over time, because they're already dwindling, because they're, you know, they just lost, you know, important members already. Maybe that was part of the grand scheme. Or, and then the other thought was like, maybe because of 
you know, Rand tapping in his power. And then we see other individuals kind of coming out of the woodworks. Maybe the influx of power in the world was also throwing off the Ta'angriyal. So I had a couple of different theories. Not at all what did happen, but what did happen did make sense after I thought mm-hmm. about it. But there was all that. Sure. <clears throat> My thoughts, I didn't think about the ring at all in, until the end and they explained it because I'm, I'm a moron. Uh, I just, I, I didn't think that something so small could be connected to something so big, but I was thinking that it just had to do with Egwene and that it had to do with her connection to Rain. Because we know about the dreams and everything and her worrying about him and her visions or whatever we want to call them about him. Um, And we know, you know, through all the different flickers and whatnot, the importance these two have together, no matter what their relationship is. And we know who Rand is and what he's capable of. So I thought somehow that connection was causing something weird to happen. Yeah, Yeah. on the same track. You know, big things can be attached to small things, so. That's why I try to tell this uh, six-foot-tall girl that was like, I don't date short guys. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> hey, now. Small things can be attached to big things. Give me a chance. Look, good. You, you know, I, I had a friend who had a, um, I think it was like a German Shepherd and a Jack Russell. And they had kids. They, they had pups. Um, and so, you know. <laughs> it can happen. It can happen. I'm telling you. Um, they were Jack Russell uh, German Shepherd mix pups. So, so. It, it it looked really weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just look, kind of looked, scratched my head. I said, how, how? What? Um, Jack Russell was the guy, um, and and German Shepherd was the girl. Um, so uh, just yeah, figure it out. I I couldn't. Um, so. <laughs> rather not think about that. There's laws against that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just leave you to that, Alan. Yeah. Anyway, so the ceremony begins, and um, it starts the same way as Nine Eves. It's nothing different here. Um, you know, they, they see all the little chants. What did you say? I said the grain strips. The grain strips strips down. They do little chants, and the first thing is, uh, you know, the way will come back but once, and the first time is for what was. And Egwene steps through, and she's back in uh, Evans Field. Hey, real quick, if we could back up just a little bit. I'll pull the old school, Chris. Um, I'm curious. When Elaine strips for the show, what kind of music is going on in the background? (laughs) Maybe some Marvin Gaye or some Barry White. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I just, in all seriousness, like, uh, not about the stripping part, but like, I haven't really thought much about the type of soundtrack music would be in the background until this, you know, it was triggered with stripping music, but you know, that's inappropriate, but it actually made me think, I was like, Oh, what kind of, what kind of music, what are we getting in the background in general in the show? Um, I mean, is it going to be game of Thrones ish? Are they going to just copy star Wars music? Like it's, it's pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard. Is yeah. Like <laughs> I, I'd go for a little, like, you know, mix in some late 70s, early 80s rock and metal. There you go. I think it's interesting, by the way, I'm going to go back because you did it. They use the word resonance. 
hmm. to talk about the um, the disruption of the Tahangriya. And residence mm-hmm. tends to be associated with um, sound and light. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of lends to that whole idea of like, is the Tahangriyal some way connected with the other worlds? Because we kind of had that same feeling with the flickers. So it, it would kind of make sense, um, you know, comparing what the women go through and what they see to the flicker that somehow this is a tool that can concentrate and put them in like three different scenarios past present future um so it's, it's kind of this time we always used to harness and focus on i guess the most powerful current situations that the women would be in maybe like the top three um potential outcomes of their lives and yeah you know that whole rule that you know mass can only occupy one space maybe it would place them in that particular time and space that they chose to stay there so it's almost transporting and putting them there and then allowing them to pull themselves back out if they so chose to do so yeah maybe but then again the Aes Sedai have no idea how they work. How it works. Like they're just clueless. They're like, it works. We don't know how. If people don't come back, we don't really know what happened. We just don't know anything. But go through. <laughs> it's just what that's, we do. That, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that, that's how we do. Um, so anyway, so we're in the first test. Egwene steps through. She's back at Emmons Field. She's married to Rand. They have a kid, a daughter, and Tam's out with the sheep. Um, uh, there's some news that has just come down from from Verilon, um about war. Um, basically, some people named the Shanchen or Shanchan, yeah, they can't pronounce it. Uh, is fighting the Aes Sedai, and yeah, they're kind of like, okay, they're Emmons folk, if, you know, we're Emmons field folk. We don't really care. I'm, I'm sure. Go ahead. You can go for it. I have a thought, but go ahead. Uh, mine aren't good so far tonight, but um, I was kind of tripping over this being the past. I mean, it clearly wouldn't be that far in the past. It would be same time, but just, you know, if they maybe had not gone on this journey. But then there's the possibility we're not looking at, like, uh, maybe you're looking at their lifetime during a previous turn of the wheel or something like that. I don't, I don't know. But it, it didn't seem very nasty to me. I think this. Um, I mean, th- th- this is my interpretation, and it kind of has a Gwaine's as well. This is not canon. This is my head canon. Um, is uh, it's dealing with Rand? So, what was was how she felt about Rand in the past, like where she doesn't have she doesn't have the feelings like that for Rand. Uh, uh, maybe she does, but you know, she's all. So, lovey eyes towards Galad and Gawain now. I don't. And, That's a good way to look I, at it. That's true. Before yeah. leaving Ed, Edmund's Field, they talked about it. They were pretty much betrothed, like since birth, right? Almost, right. So, like before they left on this journey, that was the life she was going to live. Right. I guess I could see that. That that settles a little bit better on my mind. That's how I interpret it. Mind. But that's just me. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, get it, Chris. 
Chris got a <laughs> no, because I, I was sitting back thinking about it as we were re, um, as I was listening through it and, and then rereading it um, on this ghetto fight version <laughs> that I read it on. And all I could think was back to the Flickr moments when Rand was going through his numerous lives. And you have a moment where he was in Edmondsfield and he was with Egwene and she was, there was moments where she was dying. There was moments where she was healing him. And here was a moment where she is in what was, where there was opportunity for her to heal Rand of a headache that was triggered by the, the power. And of course, if we look back at his flicker moments, I know there's not a direct parallel. If there is, I don't know it because I didn't go back and reread it. But in the flicker moments, you do have moments where Rand felt like a sickness and things happened and he didn't know why. He realized it was because of him. He couldn't control it, but Egwene always helped him manage it. So, like this battle that's happening between Shan Chen could go all the way back to the battle with the Great Horn which was last book. And they're just hearing about it in this particular world where Rand was not a part of that battle. Because just because Rand wasn't there doesn't mean that it couldn't have happened. It could have been triggered by any other person who found the horn, blew it, who wanted to fight against the Shan Chen. So there's, there was my thought. Yeah, and this has been months and months since the since that battle with the with, when they blew the horn because they traveled all the way across the continent back to Tarvalin. So it would have been a what was in a different multiverse. Sure. Ooh. Crap. Let me. Yeah. Uh, dang. Uh, I'm gonna switch from floaties to Coast Guard certified life jacket. <laughs> Because you definitely have moments in his flicker and in, in, in uh, Rand's flickering where Tam was there trying to help him get a hold of himself. Yeah. And we see Tam is running back to the house as if Wayne is leaving the house. And she's like, he won't be able to do anything for him. Only I could. Right. And she she's kind of discovered that she has a power as well. I mean, Nani has been teaching her herbs, it says, but... She's been able to heal some people in miraculous, miraculous ways. So uh, she's not sure exactly what it is, but knows that she has some kind of power. Um, and then right as Rand's really losing it with tons of pain and agony, that's when the arch appears. Mm-hmm. And poor Julia having to watch it all. Yep. Mommy does. That's, that's kind of the hardest. I couldn't imagine. We, I mean, we talked about this with the naive thing as well. Like, once you start throwing the kids in the mix, I just hmm, don't know how they do it. I'd have been, I'd have been one of those ones that just stayed there, and Shireen okay. would have been pissed at me. Like, yeah. I could, I could. There's a lot of lines I can cross. I don't know about that. Don't think I can do that. Yep. So Egwene does muscle enough power to go through the arches and goes back and a lot is waiting there to pour water over her and sham to console her. Um, cause she's a little upset and, you know, visibly upset. And Sherry says, you know, there's always a price. I think it's the court Sherry says, and going to ask if it's real, you know, 
And Sherry says, well, no one knows. The classic I said I answer. <laughs> but the but the danger's real. Um, so, yeah, you can get hurt and you can die. So they knew that much. Exactly. Anything before we move on to the next test? I think we hit it. I think we yeah. did, too. All right. So for what is, is the next one, the middle one. Um, she goes in and she's in ruins in the Royal Palace of Andor. So in Camelon. And everything's collapsed everywhere. There's battle going on the streets. There's Trollocs hunting. Uh, they're just going from place to place. And they're obviously hunting. And Fades are hunting as well. And um, for some reason, she realizes she has to go back in the palace. And when she goes back there, she finds Rand pinned under like a... Uh, I guess a, a beam or some something that fell and, and trapped him. Um, and he's begging for her to kill him. So let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, wait, the second arch represents what? What is? Again, this is where I go back to this has to be like, a different multiverse because we know this isn't a, the current what is. Like what is right now is Rand's running. He's not amongst the ruin. He's not, as, I mean, as far as we know, let me rephrase that. He's not amongst ruin. He's not amongst any form of desolation. He realizes that he is touching towards madness, but he hasn't gone to the point where he feels like the madness is going to take him over. And there's other things in here that he realizes that I don't think has really been touched on before. Yeah. Are, are we taking this literal, like what is, is like literally right now, this second, or no. could it be like in the so, near future? Because if, if it, if it's in so the I near future, we know where Rand is traveling to. And this scenario could potentially take place there. Right. I so I think it has to do with what the current, your current feelings are. So it's a manifestation around uh, what were your feelings, what is your feelings, what your feelings will be. Uh, and this is where I go back to what my, my theory is at least. And like I said, this is my canon. So like I said beforehand, how he, how she felt towards Rand was his, her future husband. Whereas in this scene, she's more like a companion to him and a friend. Um, and then we see later and we'll get to the third one. It's, it's a hierarchical, um, yeah, thing, but yeah. So, yeah. well guys, this is what happens when Ian's dead sober doing this. I'm just taking this super literal, like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan and Chris over here getting deep with their feels and like the multiverse, like, um, I'm gonna just shut up. That's Alan. You could be our first time reader. Just go back. Okay, because <laughs> that's a good that's a pretty clean way to look at it and this like i said this is all my theories i don't know um robert jordan probably did answer somewhere and i haven't read through all his notes so and all his interviews so i don't know <laughs> chris what was your thoughts about about this coming up to to red asking a grain to kill him and and then you get reasoning behind it too which well, that's what I was saying. Like the reasoning behind it is what I don't feel like even in the next few chapters, Rand's going to get that realization. I don't think anybody's going to to get this information. I don't think it's going to really happen throughout this, this book even. 
like Ran asked. So first off, Egwene comes up and she says, you know, I could move the beam, I could save you, but in moving the beam, I would kill us both. Or I could try to save you, but it would kill us both. And he looks at her and he's like, well, you know, I could move it all. So there's this tone to his language that would suggest that she realizes, not only realizes, but has seen the strength that Rand has. But then she also is supposed to be fully aware of the challenge that he faces, which is if I tap into the power, I will sink into the madness and I will be overcome and I will not know what I've done, which is kind of what happened to our boy in the prologue where he like kills his entire group of loved ones when he slips into his madness. And you know, I'm horrible with names. So, um, that Lewis Theron. Lewis Theron. Theron. Lewis Theron. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you have a parallel to Lewis Theron there. And his fear of once, if I tap into the power the way I could, I will lose it entirely. And I'm fighting the madness now. So Rand is fully aware of his power. He's fully aware of what he can do. He's fully aware of what it would bring on, which none of which is where he's at currently. And with the way the book has progressed, it will be a lot longer before he figures all of this out. And then to realize that there is a threat against him and slipping into the madness that he can be turned like that really hasn't been a term that we've used like the whole concept as has been him accepting but not being turned right like for the last you know few books it's been like join me join me join me you'll join me in life or you'll join me in death but you'll join me now it's they can turn me that has yeah, at least, a connotation to me yeah and that's what they you know and, and Egwene's never heard of this before and, and it's in the it's in this it's in this this test so she's not even sure if this is a real thing or not um yeah but if we know, go off this turning that, that, that this time real is actually taking her to different multiverses then Mm-hmm. We again going back to the whole flicker parallel. We have moments where we see that um, Rand and Egwene traveled as companions side by side, fighting together. And this would be one of those parallels where she's supposed to know he's slipping into madness. She's supposed to be aware of his power. She's supposed to be fully aware of her own power and the threat that they both cause to each other in the world. Ian, you still you still swimming? I like it. I'm, I'm still. <laughs> I'm not trying to force the issue, but I, I'm staying open to the possibility that it's literally a now now thing. Um, <laughs> okay. Because we did see when Rand was escaping and running off to wherever he's running, which we think we know. Um, one of the people that had seen him mentions to like a parent of Moraine that, yeah. He's a freaking kook. He's talking to himself, arguing with himself, something like that. So mm-hmm. there is kind of this uh, division inside of him that he's fighting, starting to. Um, and then the realization that they can turn me. All right, so maybe we're not there exactly right now, but in the near future, we learn about what it would take to turn them. How many... And how many of the Black Aja just escaped. And we know, Chris, you and I got to know at some point we're going to get introduced to Dreadlords again. 
there's no way it was brought up just for Jordan to be like, but it never happened again and never in these books, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe in the near future we get introduced to the new Dreadlords and maybe they do have the power to so control who are them. Dreadlords they... again? I mean, I would it be would it be the Black Aja? There's thirteen of them. Get it? Would it be mm-hmm. forsaken somehow through the Black Aja by use of one of the Angrails or whatever that they stole? They do some ritual that they become these Dreadlords? I, I don't know. What's scary yeah. to think, though, is if, if this is somewhat representing a actual now, literal now, then these things would have to happen very soon. Shit would need to hit the fan very soon, and the Dreadlords would need to pop up very soon. Okay, for Rand to be fighting it like that. So at this point, Egwene does jump out through the arch. The arch appears. Egwene leaves Rand there to his fate and steps through. Uh, get the water poured on her, and Egwene, you know, immediately turns to Sherian and is like. Uh, Mergel and Dreadlords, can they really turn people? And Shirian misses a step, like almost trips over herself. <laughs> like, what? Like, hmm? and you know, um, and Shirian tries to play it off. It's like, custom is not to speak of what happened inside the rings. And but, but, but Gwen presses on, says, I want to know, like, what's this about? And Shirian's like, most people don't know about this, like, inside the tower. This is a secret of the tower. Like, no one's supposed to know this. But part of the the downside of being able to channel is that you are also open to being able to be turned. So a regular person can't be turned that can't channel uh, to the dark side. But if you can uh, channel and you have the power in you, then it takes 13 dreadlords and 13 channeling through 13 fades. And then a person can actually literally be t- turned to be forced to serve the shadow. Totes great, great. So, Check this out. Shiriam sighed, glanced at the other Aes Sedai again, then dropped her voice to a whisper and spoke swiftly. This is something known only to a few child, even in the tower. So I want to know, when she glances at the other Aes Sedai, did other Aes Sedai hear the question from Egwene? Was she making eye contact with the other Aes Sedai before she answered? Or was she checking to make sure nobody else heard and that she could give this answer only between her and Egwene? And I think it's the second, because the other Aes Sedai were so focused on their task. And she quickly whispers the answer to it and keeps this conversation just between her and Egwene and kind of shuts it down very fast. So again, throws a little bit more shade on Shiriam, possibly, that she would know that this is the plan. And she's like, oh shit, Egwene just found out. I need to put this fire out. I need to make sure she doesn't talk about it anymore. We'll hush it up real quick for anybody else notices. See, this is why playing Among Us with Ian's no fun because he just calls everyone sus all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I pick a like they're all color. sus. They're all sus. <laughs> I'll be yellow and I'll be like yellow sus. They're like that's you. I'm like I don't trust myself. I don't know. <laughs> I know it's that crewmate, but shit, man, you gotta toss that dude out. Red is sus. Yellow pretending to do tasks. Uh, i haven't played a game in a while now yeah it's been a minute it's It's still fun 
anyways. So yeah, what what do you guys think about this whole concept of of turning thirteen sisters? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but let's let's dive deeper into this. Like thirteen sisters are the exact number that left the tower. Um, it takes thirteen dreadlords or thirteen merge all like that. You can that the fact that you know, Chris talked about you know the fact that we can be turned, not forced, or or you know they're asking for him, but now we found you can actually just. I say I know we know that like thirteen is supposed to be a lucky number, but it's also like has to do with like divine femininity so just from mystical thoughts of astrology and stuff like that the number doesn't surprise me and the fact that you would need that much to have things of higher power occur does not surprise me um the use again of turning somebody that is pretty interesting i mean it makes perfect sense in concept like if you open yourself up to the 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 power of the world and the tank could essentially take over is kind of the way I thought about it. Or the dark one or the shadow or whatever can can enter into that person and essentially hold the space that that being holds. Um, that's just assuming that or going under the theory that each body is a vessel at this point that is holding a piece of individuals that are split up between different worlds or different multiverses or whatever this is me going way off into my um theories but you know if if we're all one energy amongst different multiverses then that energy is flowing for positive or negative and you can lose a spark or gain a spark and you can become good or evil or light or dark based on what's occupying the space with you. So after all this, also just keep in mind as well, uh, we talked about 13 sisters leave. There also are 13 forsaken. So. And right. I thought about that too, which goes back to that whole concept of maybe our um, female friend is really a good person, maybe a double agent, or maybe there is no good or evil. Maybe there's just win or lose in her mind. Yeah. Cause Landfear is supposed to be one of the Forsaken, right? Yes. Correct. And we know that for sure, or is this one of those things we thought we knew, but turns out we were wrong? That's no, she's one of the Forsaken for sure. Yeah, and see, I just don't see her getting in on screwing Randover like that. I mean, thousands of years of being trapped can change a person. This is so true. Maybe the shadow, Beelzebub, whatever dark evilness power there is, in the, the this multiverse is being betrayed by Landfear, and that would go right along with your theory of her now being on the side of herself. I'm not going to say the side of good, but the side of gaining power over the one source. Like her whole agenda is to stand next to the man that can blow the horn because of his greatness. And we see her, like, go between Rand and now Matt. Hmm. Hmm. And didn't she, like, approach Perrin at one point? My mind's kind of at a loss. Yep. Yeah. She did. She, she did. Going... In, in one of the dreams. Yeah. Well, accidentally, Perrin approached her, right? And she was like, sure. WTF, she... what are you doing here? This is going to ruin everything. She's kind of, like, touching the Taviran, but then she's going after the ones that have a connection to the horn. Parent ha- doesn't hmm. have an apparent connection to the horn at this point. 
Yeah, so yeah. she was a little more. Oh, man. I, so I know we're going on a little twist here, but that really didn't click before. She was all about Ran because Ran in the horn, assuming Ran would blow the horn. But Matt blew the horn, and now she's all about Matt. And mm-hmm. there's still the connection with Ran because though Matt blow, blew the horn, Ran is the one that led the army. But yeah. maybe she's trying to work a way to where she could be next to the man that blows the horn, and she could then run the army. I don't know. I mean, with the with with the thousands of years of studying magic, maybe she's found a way to manipulate the flow of the power that goes through the horn. Mm-hmm. And she controls I, the man. She controls the horn. <laughs> I'd match with her. She sounds fun. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, after all this, we go to the third test. Is there anything we want to do from the second one before we move to the last one? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, yeah. So they want, They also want to clarify for Chris. Rand did not lead the army of the Horn. He was in the sky fighting. They followed the banner of the dragon, not necessarily That's him. True, so they followed Perrin. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Good point. Perrin was the Bannerman. Yes. So, again, she's addressed every person that has had something to do with the power of the horn. Very good. <laughs> My bad. Ooh. My bizazzle. I mean, that, right. it, Luce Theron did say, or no, who is it that came back? Officer Hawkwing did say that we follow the banner, and the banner is in direct connection to the dragon, and the dragon reborn is Rand. Mm-hmm. Right. So we got the Bannerman, which is Perrin, the Hornblower, which is Matt, and the Dragon Reborn, which is Rand. So, exactly. Yeah. And every king has a Bannerman, and he also has uh, a Hornblower. I forget the actual term for it. Okay. So there you go. You're connecting all the dots, and they make sense. What I'm saying is I don't trust the dots. <laughs> the dots are, the dots are <laughs> sus. <laughs> uh, they could all just be tripping on LSD, and then we get to book fourteen, and they wake up, and they're like, "Bro, did you have that dream?" And it's like, "Bro, I did. Did you?" And this could be like some nineteen ninety, nineteen seventies, like sitcom built into a book about kids having a dream. Man, I hope yeah. not it. It'd be a horrible ending. <laughs> they just wake up in Edmonds Field, like all hungover from their winter night fest. Like, oh, what did you drink? After Matt's like, hey, Matt's like, I spilled some roofies in in your in your PBRs. I thought it would be fun. We could bond. <laughs> did you not hear from the TV show? They're actually making to a. They're not going to make it to like a fantasy. It's going to be sitcoms. So they got laugh tracks and everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> 70s and 80s rock music in the background exactly exactly <clears throat> it's gonna be great <laughs> so that would actually be an interesting take someone should do that make like a fantasy novel into a sitcom <laughs> like, uh, i might actually watch it um <laughs> if it's done like properly like where it's it's sheer comedy but it's comedy in a really clever way where it's still like a fantasy book and you just adapt it into a sitcom yeah, every, every time do this. every time Ballsy enters the scene, his uh, walk up tune is some scream metal song, and just perfect. I might watch it. They should, we'll yeah, we, they should. They should definitely hire us as, as writers. We, we'd make great writers. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, 
So let's go to the third test. So for what will be, the way will come back but once. Be steadfast. Um, so she starts out, and she is the Armelin seat. Let's just stop there and let's talk about this. Before we even go that far, remind me again, what was the power of the ring, the little ring? The Tongreel? Uh-huh. That Varen gave her. So if you if you sleep touching it, you you can enter right into the dream to tell tell Ron Riyadh the dream world. Gotcha. Okay. It's kind of like dream do, but you slip in there easier. <laughs> so it allows yeah. it allows even people that don't have the power to go into the dream world. But if Correct. You, but if you have that ability, it makes it that much easier. Gotcha. Yeah, and that and that particular Tongreel works on people regardless of whether you can channel or not. Yeah, I remember, I remember that. So, so going her to as, her, yeah, hers the as the Amarlin, the, the obvious question: Does this represent the actual future, or you know, going to what Alan was saying? Is it just supposed to put this scenario together to represent the feels? Um, obviously, I don't know, but I am so hoping that Chris, you still have a connection of sorts to these possible multiverse scenarios on this one well and this is where i kind of sway to the point of like what would have been or what could have been it implies that she never will be and that may be because of all of that she learned she's never going to become the amberland seat because now she has the knowledge that that's something that could have happened And in doing so, she puts herself in a position of power, but then she also puts herself kind of entrapped in that situation. And hopefully it'll trigger in her mind the only way that she's going to be able to help Rand in the inevitable future, because she realizes as she steps out, and we'll get to that later, because that was a powerful moment for Egwene. Um, But she realizes the importance of her situation and at at every moment um when she's dealing with her each situation that she's gone through it all has to do with her leaving rand's side or betraying rand or letting Rand abandoning him in his time of need so her being amarlin's seat first and foremost is a future that could have been but will not be in my mm-hmm. mind and the fact that she raises or gets risen to this power it, it doesn't surprise me in the sense that um elaine has a greater purpose as a queen in my mind and then Nynaeve doesn't want it now here's the catch Egwene doesn't take it so who else could take it or should take it it will be naive. Like that's kind of my. There's my predictions. Naive is going to be the one risen to Amberlynn's seat, because though she doesn't want it, it's that very simple fact that she doesn't want it. But somebody in this group needs to be it. So I mean, that'd be that'd be a twist from. I mean, that would be a good twist. Because I don't think so far. Uh, in from Naive's perspective, you see that as the path. But then if that was the case for her, she would still, unless something changes, she would still be doing it 
um, in the hopes of somehow destroying the Aes Sedai and not elevating them. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. That's the thing is, Amalyn, see, she, she's still going to have that responsibility of being in charge of Aes Sedai. She's always going to be. Yeah, I just, I don't, again, I don't see it actually ever happening at this point because she yeah. sees herself Perfect. as that. Fergwain, yeah, not Fergwain. Because she sees herself as Amarlin Seat, I, I believe that she's not going to allow herself to become that. So, um, also, she knows something's really wrong because um, she keeps on hearing the way will come back, but then it keeps on like, cutting off, she's getting shorter and shorter. Uh, you know, the, the chant. Uh, something's definitely going wrong while she's in there, but she just kind of brushes it aside and goes, I don't really know what's going on. And she, the black and that's why I wanted she clarity this... of the ring. I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. That's why I wanted the clarity of the power of the ring because <laughs> of the simple fact that maybe the resonance of both time and reality is causing her to slip into a different multiverse and into a deeper state. And I say that because she kind of almost comes out with some of that spirit left in her. And we'll get to that later because I, let me not jump ahead. But with that resonating with the, it, you've got conflicting like channels, essentially con- conflicting radio signals. If you want to call it that you've got one from one time, one from the other. And they're going to allow her to see different perspectives or different futures, different multiverses. One's supposed to be one from the dream and one is like the future. So the dream is more current, present, what's happening versus what could happen, which is this dream. You got two different dreamscapes clashing because sure. of the closest of the time. Yeah. Sure. It's kind of like when you're between two radio stations and you're kind of getting both songs at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Never thought about it that way. That's interesting. Like, I, I got to contribute something because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just grasping for air here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, anyway, so continuing on, just because this is going to go, this episode is going to go long. Sorry, guys, but this is, there's a lot to talk about. Um, so she turns to her keeper and she realizes that it's no one she's ever met before, but realizes she's from the green Aja, which means that she was raised in the green, which she found interesting. Um, I didn't know what your thoughts were on that, whether or not she will go to the green Aja or, um, but obviously her keeper was. When, when they explain what the greens do later in better detail, it made more sense. Um, is as soft-spoken and meek and, you know, prim and proper as they try to show Egwene at the very beginning of Eye of the World. That experience she's been through has made her a fighter. And I could totally see her going that route. Right. And, all right, so let's just go ahead and say it, because I can't, like, we're going to go forward to go back, and it just is what it is. Welcome to the Wheel of Time. She... The first question she begins, she asks a few questions when she comes out of this this um, trial. But the most important question, or the thing noted, was she's already asking about what does it mean to be a green Aja. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to whole my, my whole concept of she'll never become Amalyn because 
she's decided in her mind not that she wants to be Emberlyn, but that she wants to become Green Aja because she realizes from what she's already understood that it means to be ready. It means to be a warrior. And she realizes that in order to really be able to help Rand, there's some power that she's going to have to harness and going to have to be able to control. And it says it in here as we go on that she has a power that others don't know of. And she's going to have to learn how to manipulate it. And then she's going to have to learn how to manipulate her situation so that she can better help Rand in the future. Right. I'm, I'm down with that. Definitely. All right. Well, so as we move on, um, we the the way back will come, but Watts starts to fade away to a buzz at this point, and then the keeper says, "You know, we can't keep them waiting. We have to go." So, uh, Gwen's like, "Well, keep them waiting for what?" You know, she's really confused. She gets led to the tower, and she gets to the a large hall, which is the hall at the tower, um, and sees you know all these sisters sitting around, um, looking down and waiting for her oh, my favorite part was just sitting down having no idea what's going on and she just goes oh you may begin yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, so i'm just gonna watch this unfold so ready go yep. and so queen has no idea what's about to happen but elida stands up and says bring him in and the tower guards bring in rand and he's in chains and his accusation is channeling the one power and the, the sentence for a man channeling the one power is to be gentled. So they asked Egwene to pass the sentence um, and she hesitates and it gets called out and it gets knocked out. <laughs> well, before you own go keeper. that far, there's like the comment 13 of the Black Aja, 13 of the Black Aja, that starts mm-hmm. in that moment before the introduction of the Black Aja later. So this is almost like a warning. And where is this warning coming from? Where is she getting this pro- this knowledge? Like, where is it coming from? And again, if we think about that concept of two frequencies kind of colliding, it's almost like if you take this path of becoming Amarillo's seat, then you need to be aware that Black Aja are coming into play versus maybe there's the frequency from the ring from the dreamscape where maybe another multiverse hers already just like trying to tap in and and let her know like you've got something to worry about here but i don't know i might be going way off into nowhere but in this particular multiverse if that's what it is or this sense of self you know the black eyes that were destroyed through the great purge you know my memory being what it is i don't remember what the great purge is or has it happened yet don't know Hmm. but sure (laughs) (laughs) that's uh, i don't know Uh... at the the end of the day it's like (laughs) she's now getting this this thing thrown at her where is this warning coming from is my question and then like you said she was asked to pass judgment and before she could even really say anything, boom, she's knocked out. Like she wasn't right. even given the chance to defend herself, and we know why. But it 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 sucks for her. <laughs> and then the next scene, she wakes up, 
Uh, actually, before we beat the next seat, anything from you, Ian? Um, so, I don't know. The, the only part I really circled here was, you know, when, when they asked her to condemn him, and she just immediately right. said no. No, I cannot. Yep. Will not. There wasn't much hesitation to it, and I just – I don't know. I guess it'll break my heart a little bit if things progress in these next few books where that sentiment actually changes. Um, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it's a little bit more like when you touched on Chris that she's realizing that, nope, you know, my commitment still has to be supporting Rand one way or another. You know, and maybe that's not as the Amberlynn. Maybe it's going a different route. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so we get this next scene, and she wakes up, and she's surrounded by 13 Aes Sedai and 13 Myrtle. And she's naked. Um, again. Because, again. Um, which, uh, the, the next part I found really interesting. So they didn't shield her. So they knocked her out, but they were like, okay, we'll just won't shield her. <laughs> so she still has the ability to channel, so she escapes. Yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. We got time. And then this was awesome. I mean, she she draws on the power and then just shreds these dudes. Flames yeah. burst from mineral skin, ripping through black cloth as if they were solid daggers of fire. Shrieking half men crisp and burn like oiled paper. Fist-sized chunks of stone tore themselves free from the walls and whizzed across the room, producing shrieks and grunts as they thudded into flesh. That's awesome. And so because this is Aragwain, but in, you know, by, you know, mentally, this is Aragwain. I guess she's kind of melding with the one that is this possible future. Makes me wonder if she has the ability to channel like this right now. Is that quite, did, I, did I word that right? Does my yeah. question make sense? Okay. Yeah, question makes sense. So I had a couple of different thoughts in this particular moment. Going back to the initial statement that you made, um, Alan, I feel like they didn't shield her for maybe two reasons. Um, the first reason is because if they open themselves up to the power to shield, then they will be noticed. Because all of the Aes Sedai should be there for the trial that we know is about to come. Then my second thought was, was if it takes 13, it probably takes 13 at their fullest strength. So even shielding is going to take power away from what it is that they need to do. Yeah. And it may also be that they need her, like, purified or untainted in some type of way before they channel through her. So maybe they had to, I mean, why, why else would you strip her down? Why else would you go, like, well, I mean, of course, what's her name? Wanted yeah. Shaw, so <laughs> there's that. But, <laughs> like, why, why leave her bare, bare bone naked? Like, why go through all the problems? So there's a couple of thoughts there. And then... Ian, to your point, I was right there with you. Like in this moment, because you've got the two Tangriel kind of working 
in sync. They're resonating. They're cause. They're interfering with everything on the outside. It may be allowing her a, a lot more awareness, honestly, because in the initial two trials, she became aware of the situation and she made a choice. With this last trial, she was completely to- tuned in, like she was herself almost instantly, and she yeah. knew everything was off. But at the same time, it was like split personalities. Like, she, this was her. So there, that that's when I kind of had the internal conflict personally of, well, maybe she does become Amarlin C. Because this seems like the memory that is most in tune for her. Mm. So, like, my, my prediction of her not becoming... Amberlyn C. It's just simply because that would kind of fit my idea of her wanting to help brand more out in the open with everything that's going on and finding a way that could potentially protect him, um, which I have a theory on that, which goes all the way back to our original theory of him becoming her warder, because then that would kind of put him under her protection. Yeah, there's a steak. There's a steak dinner on that one. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, I think we're there is a steak dinner on that one. So, like that, my thoughts are torn. Like, because this is the most in sync memory for her, because it's like tune whatever, and she is herself. I'm like, she could become Emerald C just because of that. Like, these are her memories, and so because they are her memories, future memories. Exactly, but it's just like, you know, in Harry Potter, when he uses the Patronus, it's because he had already used the Patronus. Right, right, right. So it's kind of like that same idea, same concept, of course, this game before Harry Potter, so got you. Yep. Time is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So, like, she could use this power because she's used this power before. And so it just is reactionary. Her body has... Is, knows this power, it can handle the power, she's equipped to use it, she uses it. The thought to use it is because she's in tune with the self that she'll become, but now she has an actual decision to make, or an actual choice to make, which is probably one of the few times that these characters actually have a choice, which kind of will take me to my next thought as we move along. Yeah. Hey, so when she comes out of the arch, then since she's also able to keep her memories, remembers what happens in there. Um, the way she channeled and the fire she rained down and all this jazz, uh, are we assuming she maintains that ability? And I'm just curious from like, you know, if I'm playing like a, a fantasy round of, you know, choose your Edmonds fielders, like I would pick her and put her on my team because that's pretty badass. So, so here's my thought. We're kind of we're skipping through some things. So let me. Um, here's my thoughts on it. When she, I want to give it later because I have so much more to say on that. But to answer your question, I feel like mentally she realizes she can do this. Yeah. But physically, she realizes that she doesn't have the capacity to do it yet. I mean, the body that she was in when she was Amarlin C is one that is progressed. 
and it's one that's been hardened. And what's the best way of learning that type of magic, but to become a battle mage, which is to take up the green stole. Mm. Okay. So she made her decision as she stepped out when she asked that question, what does it mean to be green? And if you look at the preparation she's already had when she was captured by the Shanshan, like she's already built to handle some of what she's going to receive as a battle mage, but she's going to learn how to manipulate, control it, and then give her body the ability to handle it. I feel you. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But first, we actually have to get out of the ring. Yeah. So we're not, we're not quite we're not quite out of it yet. So yeah, she escapes these guys, and then she runs into her keeper, and realizes her keeper has been stilled. stilled. And said, yeah, they came and they stilled me and they said they could uh, fix me or whatever if I listened to them. Um, and um, at this point, they said, you know, she says, we have to follow me quickly. Rand's in the traitor's court. And that's really where they take people to either execute them or to gentle or still, uh, still women or gentle men. And we also find out that Elida is now the Amberlin seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tripping. Yep. Um so also um, at this point, this is also where she says, well, I'm going to go save Rand. And the keeper's like, well, you can't do that. She says, well, I never swore on the oath rod yet. Mm-hmm. And they take it back. Like, well, how? And even when she, as she says it, she's like, this doesn't make sense. Like I'm armed with seat. How can I be armed with seat and never have sworn on the oath rod? But I haven't sworn on the oath rod. So it can't be I said I if you're not having sworn on the oath rod. But how can you be armed with seat if you're not I said I? So it really confuses her. Um. And she, yeah, um, but she gets to the trader's court and sees Rand and is about to get gentled. Um, so before we go any further, what do you think about this whole interaction with the keeper? Um, about the uh, oath rod, about Elida being Armlin. There's lots of stuff to unpack. This is, I'll get mine out of the way. This is where going through Ian's mind sometimes is like not as exciting. Sometimes I get very. Uh, just childish in the way I read, I guess. But once I, I keep fixating on Egwene dicing up those half men and how easily she did it and flinging stones everywhere into everybody else. And once I saw that, and then she, she talks to Beldine. Is that, her, yeah. that one? Mm-hmm. Finds out where Rand is. All I'm thinking is, dear God, please let her go in there and dice up all those other eyes to die. I mean, not all of them, but the bad ones, right? Like I'm just waiting for the next spice fight scene. So I'm, I'm like rushing through this waiting for her to lay the smack down on everybody. Yeah. And, and at this point, it's also where she mentions something called Bellfire. I don't know if you guys caught that or you have theories about what that is. They, it's, it's in passing really quickly. They mentioned, she mentions Bellfire. Like and she doesn't even fire. really know what it is. What did you say? I said, I mean, it, I, 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 I heard it, but I didn't really think much on it. But it could be like hellfire, it's just fire that cannot be put out by water. I don't know, magical fire. Okay. What's that? What's the, what's the actual? So you said hellfire. There's actually a uh, what's dragon it called? Dragon fire or dragon no? In medieval dragon. times, there was a a term for it. Because it was made with oil, so water would just make it flame up more. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Fire. 
<laughs> oh, because grease fires and oil fires, you throw water on it, it just it spreads. It spreads. It makes so, I know what you're talking about. I can't. So in medieval times, they they called it something special because a lot of people didn't know. They thought it was magical, and all it was just an oily fire. So when when the the, the villagers would try to put it out, it just spread the fire more, and they thought it was just magic fire, and they had a name for it. But it all was an oil fire. <clears throat> So remind me again, when was the oath rod supposed Greek to be? fire. There he is. Greek fire. That's right. So <laughs> thank you, chat. <laughs> <laughs> when was the oath rod supposed to be used? So that's when you were raised to Isodai from accepted. Gotcha. Uh you take you take the three oaths and you use the oath rod. Interesting. And one of the you know, the three oaths are about the lying that you can't make any weapon. And that using the one power and that you can never use the one power to harm anyone unless it's in defense of your life or against the shadow. Gotcha. So when trying to save Rand, the idea behind that is that if they're regular Aes Sedai sisters guarding Rand, they're not shadow. You can't use the one power. So that's why they have this conversation where it's like, well, how are you going to do that? She's like, well, I haven't took the oath rod. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Nice little twist. Which I so going back to my my like original thought about her not becoming the Amarlin seat. Now that I've really been going back and forth with myself on the whole, like this could be like the two Angrials showing her like the clearest her clearest self. Like it makes me want to recant my statement. Like maybe this is sh- showing her the future. Like because we know, like the one one of the powers that like dreamers have, and and with many, um, many magics is that they are seers, or they can foresee the future. So maybe the two have tuned into each other, and she's like living out her future right now, and that's why it's so clear, and that's why she has the memory of it. Because when she comes out of this, like she she attempts to save him, she works through her mind how she could do it, but realizes she's kind of at a loss. And then the rings come up, and it's like, okay, I already knew this was going to happen. I needed just a few more minutes to save Rand. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't like the first two scenarios where they kind of came up unbeknownst to her. She was agitated because she seemed to already know that the rings were coming. Like this has, you know, if we have the concept that time is a a continuum and that we're always living each moment at one time because time is not really a thing, but a concept of constructive man, then there's the whole thought that, you know, both Tangriels have now like pushed and pulled her throughout time and space where it's kind of imploded memories on her. And so this is her actual timeline. This is the one that will actually happen. And saving Rand gets disrupted for some reason, or it's just because like as in her current moment as young Egwene, she sees what happens to Rand being captured, being put on trial. And then she has from her young self to the time that she raises to a position of power to find a way from stopping this future from happening. 
So now her position is, I need to become a green. I need to learn how to control these powers. I need to learn how to channel in this way. I got to find a way to manipulate the the oath rod or get out of taking the oath rod. So it's kind of setting her up for all of these different points. These are the things that I have to do. And her getting the ring and bringing it with her during her acceptance is just the will weaving. And it's setting her up to be a better tool to help Rand in the future by showing her what her future will look like and then giving her the time until she lines up young self to to that self to actually figure out what she's going to do to save him. I really want to drop my new mic right now, but I just got today. <laughs> <My God. laughs> like that, that's like it, it, for whatever, like that makes sense to me now. Like, so she will become Amalensi, but now she's got this new mission on top of the mission of, and then that would, of course, mean that she's got to be very cautious of, uh, what is her name, Elida? Because she yeah, knows yeah. that she either is or will become a dark one. And that may be triggered by anything. It seems like Egwene being Amaranth's seat really perturbed Elida. So maybe Elida's on the side of good right now, but then when Egwene gets risen to power, Elida turns. Yeah. And yep. it's like, like maybe all these, she, the triggers are there and maybe Egwene will get like privy to that or maybe she'll kind of figure it out. You know, that now I'm like, man. It's almost, it's almost <laughs> like the third arch could have been more like uh, maybe between the two resonating or whatever's going on, like a vision of, you know, this, this is the way. This is... This is the path you need to be on. Exactly. This I is mean, the that's kind of like the price of the ring is the realization that she is set for failure in the current track, and but now she's got opportunity. She's got an actual mm -hmm. choice, and so she's got all of these other things to figure out now. Right. I just want to see her bust out some power and dice people up. Yep. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't happen because this is the very last scene. She gets to the traitor's court. Elida's proceeding over the ceremony. There's 13 sisters to Gentle, which is interesting. Um, and she comes with a plan but uh, to lift him out of there. But then as soon as that happens and she starts to channel, uh, the arch shows up. And it's flickering on and off, which is really weird. It's not staying stable. And she hears the voices, you know, saying, we'll come back at once. Um so she screams and throws herself at the arch and goes through. And that ends the chapter. Well, she doesn't Ooh, go this through. It says it shimmers oh. like a heat haze. She almost wished she had missed and plunged to her death. Light pluckered, plucked, excuse me, light plucked her apart fiber by fiber. Sliced yes. the fiber to hairs, split the hairs to wisps of nothing, all drifted apart on the light. So it's mm -hmm. like forever. that whole idea forever. So it's like, the, again, that whole idea of time not being anything more than a constructive man and that we are all traveling in an infinite left and right direction, just like light does. 
and she's traveled through memory at light speed, like she's been transported there. And again, that whole mm-hmm. idea that people are nothing more than their energy, and she was her energy traveling from one body in one multiverse to a body in another multiverse, and because she now has aligned herself with her actual future and her actual self, and she is in the body that she will become, and because in that time she's Amarylline's seat, and she's had all this time to study the time reel that she has, which is the ring, and then of course she'll learn more about the time reel that they'll use as her like overseeing it as she accepts more Aes Sedai. She has a deeper understanding of how they travel, you know, between these spaces. Hey, Chris. And her connectedness to the light is deep in that much, the one power, that she's feeling it. Hey, Chris. Yes. Brother, if you keep this up, I'm going to get drunk tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I so want to be really chapter with like, some whiskey in front of me and just <laughs> sip and read and think. <clears throat> just... That's deep. It's been a minute since I've really been like deep into a chapter, and this one's really like it just pulled me in as I was listening to yeah. reading. So it's a good one. Yeah, it's been a while since Chris went Chris went off the deep end, which which the, our, our our fandom loves it. So, um, but but it's been a while since we had a chapter that provoked it. So it's be has to be natural, not forced. So we're we're, we're loving it. That's good stuff. Look, I. You've, you've got me sitting back and listening and scratching my head. I like it. And it's, it's important <laughs> because, like, we go right into Chapter 23 with the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So I'll let Alan do what he needs to do. Like we're already at 1030. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, anything we missed in this chapter uh, that we want to read? Impossible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, moving on to chapter 23, sealed. And the icon is the Wheel of Time symbol. So that's just nothing. Yeah, it's just the the snake and the wheel. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, sealed is pretty much self-explanatory, I think, at this point. Because, yeah, you're sealed to us now. Um, so Egwene X Or there could be a dual meaning to it. Oh, Continue again if we continue down this frame of thought that I've now started to go on about her having just lived her future, now she's kind of sealed herself to that path. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, mm. I like it. There you go. 
so Egwene exits the the uh, the arch in almost like pain because of like you said it wasn't a normal walking through, um, and she's just pissed because uh, like why does everything have to do with Rand? <laughs> like, <laughs> which I thought was just I thought it was powerful. Humorous. I mean, uh, I, I get what you're saying, but the way you say it, Alan, really doesn't do it justice. It sounds not a little okay. off and petty. <laughs> the way she comes out, she's she's torn, anger cold as death. Is that all there is for me? She demanded to abandon him again and again, to betray him, fail him again and again. Is that what there is for me? That's not. I mean, I pictured her saying this with all emotion and all seriousness and anger cold as death is short and to the point it's yeah not a not a whininess not a complaining a uh, oh yeah extreme frustration of a person who is in charge and mm-hmm. cannot get past the fact that she cannot control the destiny that is laid out before her Ooh. So, oh say that again of a person who's what <laughs> In control. Mm. This is what kind of, as I started thinking through it, as we were talking about, solidified my thought that she will indeed become Amberlynn's seat, but now she's on this new mission of finding a way to defeat her inevitable future, which is to continuously fail him. And Mm. this is where it and even in my mind, not necessarily fail him, but fail his cause. Because there's, you know, men's prediction that she'll never be able to be what she wants to be to him. Because she always wants to be there to essentially love him. But yeah. maybe now her she realizes that it is her love for him that always gets in the way of what she really should be able to do for him. Which is essentially to free him in whatever manner that means. Yeah, to save him, she has to take this path, but this path means they're not going to be together. Not like that. Exactly. And I mean, freeing him may actually mean that she has to still him. Because if Ran is the way for the darkness to enter the world... What's the easiest way to stop it from happening? You get rid of it. You close the door. You close off the path. Interesting. So, like, I, I almost feel like she could have become, like, the biggest anti-hero of the story. Possibly. Statistically, it'd, it'd be easier to just take out one of the 13 Dreadlords. But Dreadlords can be remade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like Black Aja can be re- re- remade. Like, you know, you can have a new Black Aja. You can have new Dreadlords. But maybe there's only one Rand. And there's nothing that says there's only 13 Dreadlords. They just need 13 to turn to you. Oh, that's right. true. I mean, there could be scores of, of Dreadlords. There's scores of Black Aja. I mean, possibly. I mean, there's 13 that escaped, but how many were there before? How many will there be after? We don't know the timeline of all 14 books yet. Interesting. These Black Aja could create their own cult, essentially. Mm. 
And like, I wonder if this. Oh, go ahead. No, so I, I, I can't. So I've been watching originals for anybody that knows what that is. Yeah. And then, like, so you, like you, you see how these different groups branch off and become their own branch, and then they become power hungry, and you know, they're they're fighting for everything, and you know, so you got this idea that and again we don't know the timeline of all these books so now i'm like there could be only one rand and she may be coming to the slow realization that she's gonna have to cut him off because hmm. if she steals him but she's able to keep him from madness then she could inevitably be with him at the end or if nothing else she could allow Rand some peace. Well, there, there was conversation before. I forget who said it, but in talking to the girls about how they would need all the eyes to die they can for when this is over anyways, because even after Rand defeats the Dark One, they would need to gentle him or remove his power before he has a chance to break the world again. So it's like they need to let him, you know, finish his mission. They need him to do that, but then they need to not let him go like full nuclear on him. Am I remembering that correctly? Mm, yeah, I or mean, that, more or less. That discussed somewhere in there. I, I'm horribly paraphrasing, but yeah, I mean, yeah, um, more or less. When she walked out, she walked out like in charge oh yeah yeah she but demanded she, yeah but then she realizes she reads the room real fast and realizes something's wrong because all the ice and i are just kind of like mouths open to like and they look exhausted and it's something's not right and she has no idea she's like what's 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 going on like and they're like are you okay or you know and they're, they're worried about her and they're shocked that she's not hurt this is the terran grill hummed almost vibrated and the violent streaks of color tore the white light inside the arches. And if you have it going along the whole quantum physics theory of thought, you know, to oh, shoot, the same mass cannot occupy, or the same energy cannot occupy space, the same space at the same time. So, like, her, these two time real kind of tying her to her future self is putting her mass and her mass together. So it's almost like a small explosion, like atoms clashing or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going way off on the deep end now because I'm having fun with this analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you got these bright sure. lights and you got the, it's almost like a magnetic magnetic disruption or a nuclear disruption. Like if we're going whole, with that whole thought of this being a, a newer age that's beyond what we are, but we had some type of nuclear war. We this is the remnants. Then this could be some nuclear powered machine that's mm. reacting to another machine. And I don't know. All right, let me stop going on these tangents. <laughs> it's, a, it's a stargate. There it's you go. St <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. But so, they probably had to take all their power just to keep this thing stable enough to get her out. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
and yeah, they complete the ceremony, and Egwene gets um, her Aes diary. But that's when they started explaining to her about how everything went wrong, um, and how it looked like everything's about to collapse. And they couldn't figure out what, what was wrong, but they took all the Aes Sedai just to hold it together. Too bad they didn't have Nynaeve there, because remember, Nynaeve created her own gate to get out. Yeah, she's coming back. And once she's able to do something, see something, she only gets better at it. She probably could have walked in there and been like, guys, it's simple. You just do this. Buzzing. And the mm-hmm. gate goes pow, and she's good. Yeah. Before they did all that, uh, the explaining of what was happening, they did finish the ceremony, like I said. Uh, Gwen does get her ring, and she notices that they're calling her daughter rather than child. Uh, so she, she knows Aww. that. Rites yeah. of passage. Exactly. Um, and I'm beyond this uh, touchy feely stuff. Like Egwene is, she doesn't give a damn about the ring anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like and that's just I secondary agree. to what's actually occurring here. And you brought up a good point, Ian. The fact that um, Nynaeve could bring her own portal, like she, it shows that she has a power that all of those Aes Sedai did not have. It took how many eyes to die to hold that one? Now, mind you, of course, it was, you know, there was that resonance between the two time reals, but she was able to bring her own portal, which means she was able to control and manipulate a lot of power. And I don't know how many eyes to die it took to hold that portal open, but she's essentially being able to channel the power of all those, like, of all those eyes to die. And didn't we learn from when Nynaeve went in that you're not supposed to be able to channel while you're in there and it's dangerous to do it? And she did it. Yes. And so and Nynaeve so did it, it a little bit. Egwene. But Egwene did it yes, big a time. Whole lot. And mm-hmm. she did it destroying half men and flinging stones at Black Aja. I mean, the, the repercussions of that probably added to the craziness of them not being able to get her out, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, nuts. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, welcome daughter. Oh, so she's loved now and she's now. Yep. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, got child. Tell me, tell me about green Aja and how do I. Well, also more importantly, Elida does come over with her stuff and I, I give it to a Gwen how she kept her cool. Um, Cause you know, she's freaking out that, you know, her stuff went through. Her and entire mindset has changed. Like again, yeah. I, I, I'm going to go back to this whole. She is now, she is now the Amaryllis seat going, and not the girl that stepped through the rings. Agreed. I, I foresee her having much more confidence and I don't want to say arrogance, but that air about her. It's going to be part of her. And Alida calls her a wilder and a slang. And for some reason, Alida really does not like it going at all. Um. And I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on that, but well, like, I, why? Well, in, in this instance, we don't know exactly how Elida would have reacted to Nynaeve, but I think it's more or less in this moment the fact that um, Egwene is doing something that her pet was able to do, or did, and kind of struggled at. Because, uh, oh, her name just left my mind. Um, our princess, 
Elaine. Elaine. Uh, Elaine was a lot of, you know, she she trained her up. She brought her up, you know, from childhood. She was teaching her to kind of use and harness the power and kind of give her an advantage. And now you got two farm girls that have come in and done what her, essentially her little child, if you want to call it that, her child in, in, uh, in power struggled to do because she came out, you know, crying and hysterical as we learned later on. She did it, but she had been molded to do it. And now you right. got two farm girls who, one of which walked out angry, walked out of something horrible and something she shouldn't have walked out of unharmed and like badass. And then, of course, Nynaeve walked out. And if you, I'm sure they all heard the story. Um, there's probably recognition that she created her own portal to get out. She did something that others haven't done, which is channel inside. And now you've got two that have channeled inside. They're both farm girls. They're not attached to Elida whatsoever at all. And they're they're young and powerful. Yeah, and and they're I've always been suspicious. You know, Elida, I don't think it's just enough that she wants control in Camelin and she wants um, Elaine to be full Aes Sedai and sit on the throne of Camelin. I think she wanted and wants Elaine to be the Emerald Seat. And especially if, let's say, Elida is already Black Asha. And part of the plan is to get somebody on that seat that they can control. So then you don't have the outcome that we just saw where it was Egwene there and she was able to foil their plans at the end, or at least be in a position to foil their plans. And then I crazy. Kinda... Sorry, maybe Elida already has something in place that gives her some sort of influence or control over Elaine. And that's why she is so big on pushing Elaine forward and holding Egwene back. Well, then my other thought, now that we've kind of gone through this new prediction of the future, if we want to call it that, or that's what I'm seeing it as, or actual future, is that she's always wanted to be Amarlin's seat, but she didn't want just a hold over the eyes to die. She wanted a hold over the kingdom. And what's the easiest way to do that but to raise up a queen, a puppet queen? Yeah. That's loyal to the seat. Because... Um, Elaine is going to play a dual role. Like she's still set to potentially become a queen, depending on what her brothers do. Maybe the thought is to get rid of her brothers and raise her up as the queen. And then you know, Elida takes the 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 seat as Amarlin, and then she can manipulate what's going on there. Or even so, maybe the brothers stay alive, but they're so loyal to their sister that you know she becomes like the Aes Sedai to the throne like maybe that was her grand plan oh, all along also just just as a fyi in andor um our women raised her, up our only women can that's yeah right. yeah the brothers they can't yeah yeah that's right that's that and that's where my original thought came from but i wasn't sure so i took it back so yeah she becomes queen that's also held to her bond as an Aes Sedai. You don't break the bond once you're, you know, once you give the oath. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, and after all, playing checkers. <laughs> yeah, and after all, this is where they get into the whole entire discussion about the reverberations and the, the Terangri almost destroying itself. Um, and Alana takes full responsibility for it, um, saying you know, it's her fault and that she wants to be punished the same way as Egwene. You know, and, and, after, uh, and after you spank her, spank me. <laughs> well, yeah, I brought it back. Spankings yeah. for everyone. Spankings for everyone. Do y'all um, remember what's after the spankings? More or oral sex. <laughs> oral sex. <yeah. laughs> I don't know if we're gonna take it that far. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, and I'm completely <laughs> sober. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, Sharon refuses to have uh, uh, Alana say that, no, you're, I said I, you're not going to be punished. No, um, Sh- no, Shirium is all about whooping her ass. <laughs> oh, no, it's the Armalyn, sorry. Yeah, Shirium's going to whoop her ass in private. Yeah, um, but but Egwene's surprised, and, and I'm trying to figure out what Alana's motives or what her angle is. Like, why is she, like, she's really suspicious. She's getting sus. <laughs> yeah. Well, now she has to still consider her duties in hunting out the Black Aja. Um, mm-hmm. And even though Alana's, Alana's green, right? Yeah, Alana's green. And that's what Egwene wants to be. She still has to be suspicious of everybody, right? And any of the Aes Sedai that want to find opportunity to be closer to her and the other girls, that's that's something they got to watch out for. Yeah. So I get it. And then this is also the same scene where Alana says she's only seen this happen one other time before where two Tung Tirangriya were in the same room together and they started resonating and they both were destroyed. Do we know those that are part of the ceremony, the acid that are part of the ceremony, are they able to see what's going on? What no, they can't see what, what the visions are. That no Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's 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 for the person only. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> yep. And then after this, this is where Egwene asks what it's like to be a green. What does it mean to be a green? Um, of course, Alana's first answer is, well, first of all, you must love men. Not like men, like the blues. I mean, love men. <laughs> She's like, use a hoe. I mean, you got them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you get the whole thing. Brown seek knowledge, blue, blues ca- causes, white logic, and greens, well, where the battle lodge up. Uh, and she goes into a whole entire story about, you know, during the Trollic Wars, the Greens really were the on the front lines. She said, "We are counter to Dread Lords, the Battle Aja, and now we stand ready for the Trollocs to come south again. For Taman Gaiden, the last battle, we will be there. That is what it means to be green." Love it. That's where I'd sign up in a heartbeat. And it kind of like begs the thought. You know, if it's understood that by the Amaranth seat, by Moraine, that the Dragon Reborn, and I mean, they all understand that his objective, first and foremost, is to defeat the evil before he has to be stilled, then he's going to need an army of magicians. Mm -hmm. So he's going to have to have some type of control over the greens or some type of loyalty from them. So here's kind of Egwene positioning herself to be in service of Rand already. Yeah. Maybe that relationship with her in that place as one of the Greens 
Rand being what he is and everything falling into place, maybe that's what's unique about this this lifetime. And those are the pieces that need need to be in place for it to work. Because we, I mean, we already know, at least from what Balzi has told us, that the three of them are all important, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you cut the leg off of one, not balls. They all need to be there as part of the plan for the boys. But these girls are going to have uh, just as important roles. Mm -hmm. Everything's so going to happen just right. So Egwene actually almost gives up the, the dream ring ring as well. She's actually thinking about it. Um, but then the Armalon shows up um, and kind of derails that whole thing. Uh, tells Alana, no, you're not going to be punished, and tells Egwene to go to bed. <laughs> well, she says, if you must, you can go to Shirium. Yeah, go. she said, you can go talk to but she said, but I'm not going to see you being punished. Yeah, if you, go get some private spankings, okay, if that'll make you feel better. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making that up. That's No, you're not. It's exactly what No, you're not. <laughs> That's totally what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And then the so, Amalet, of uh, course, go to bed, child. You have much work mm -hmm. tomorrow, and for many days thereafter, her eyes held Egwene's a moment longer, then she strided away before any of them could curtsy. She wants to know, what yeah. the heck happened? Yeah. So, and before we move on to this next, you know, the very, very last, I guess, scene here, anything from all this that we want to talk more about? Like we yeah. tied it all in with the last. Yeah. I mean, the tongue, the elves going wild together. It's just, again, resonant. The tones resonating, or, you know, the powers meeting and working in sync or colliding against each other, whichever one you think it could be. Yeah. So instead of going back to her room, Egwene, um, you know, needs to talk to somebody. So she goes to Nani's room and she goes in and Elaine's there and she's crying because she just took the, uh, the test as well right before Egwene and is really upset about it. Um, and then it kind of all the emotions hit Egwene too because she hasn't really stopped to, com to comprehend everything she went through. So she starts crying too and kind of end with Nynaeve consoling both of them. And the chapter ends. Mm, with a promise. Mm -hmm. It eases with time. It eases a little. One day we will make them pay our price. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. So that's where I like that that thought too is like all right, so Nynaeve really really doesn't want to be there. She's only here for the purpose of learning how to better control her power. So why would she want to be Amarlin's seat? She wants to be counter to them because she doesn't like their ways. And we know that she has an issue with authority and she has an issue with people that harm others, so Yeah. Mm -hmm. I what wonder if moving forward we get some insight into what Elaine went through in these trials. I wonder if it's kind of like Ingtarish, like she goes through it and realizes that, you know, in in this life right now, having been around these girls and the boys, she's been affected in a, in a positive way that draws her towards helping, I'll call it the cause. But in all the other different possible ways her life could have been, you know, maybe she was a much more selfish, more more manipulated by Elida, more evil, if you will. And she got views of that. Maybe that's why she's so broken up over it, you know? Kind of like how yeah. Antar was, like, holy shit, I'm a shitty person. 
all the time. So any final thoughts or anything we missed? We talked about a lot. I could not be that awful, Gwen. I just could not. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dang, she just straight out said it. Alone. You know, I, I'm wondering if there's like a duality in that. Like maybe she does a Gwen wrong and she's already seeking forgiveness. Because we don't know what happened prior to Gwen entering. We just have this moment. True. Or what could make her so awful? I mean, we know she's going to be raised to a point of power, and she will have the ability to do some horrible things. I mean, yeah. who is it that maybe she's supposed to turn on Rand? Ooh. Maybe she's the one. Maybe she partners with Elida and in, in one of her future verses, and turns on Rand and like sides with her friend and, and mentor. And well, dark side. With, with the thirteen dreadlords, they can turn anybody that channels, right? Isn't that what yeah. was said earlier? Yeah, I mean, but it, yes, thirteen, the thirteen. Like that's that's a, a huge ceremony. Why would they turn her when she's already being manipulated? She's already snaps to in every lot of talks. Well, maybe she gets conditioned to a point where she kind of gets tricked into. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know yeah, what it takes for I her to be turned, but maybe that's part of what she saw. Maybe she actually becomes a black Aja because she gets turned. Interesting. Could be, or maybe she just goes that direction. Sure. How crazy would that be? Sure. Not crazy at all. If her mentor is black <laughs> and she is quite literally a puppet, then... Oh, so Elida is Black Aja, right? Well, Elida either is or becomes based on circumstance. I haven't made my mind up on that. In the future verse, she is. So she is Black Aja. It's just the when switch from now until then it happens is the question. Sure. Any other predictions you guys have from this episode? You had a ton of them. Anything that's really big that you want me to write down and carry on? There's going to be more spankings. More spankings. <laughs> okay. All right. My, my big one, of course, is that we're going to see Egwene become Amarlin's seat after she becomes a green badass. And her whole so Nynaeve or Egwene? Egwene, not Nynaeve. I switched up midway through last episode. About yeah, I know you did. I wasn't sure if you if you did on purpose or not. Okay, I did. I'm going to keep that track because I started thinking about all these scenarios and it just makes sense now. Okay. Interesting. Because I'm really now thinking like she just lived her actual future. Like in book 10, we're going to see the same scene repeat itself. Oh, interesting. And she's going to have one of those moments where she's like, Day in job. the moment and goes, holy shit, wait a minute. I've been here. I know this. I know what's happening. That's why she came out so angry because she's like, shit, I messed up again. Or, you know, yeah. there was my chance. Or like, you know. Sure. So favorite characters? Um, I mean, really, we just had a Gwaine. I mean, you had some side characters, but. A Gwaine. Yeah, I mean, there's not much really favorite characters. I knew the, the Amarlin Gwaine. The one that comes out of the arches. Not the one that went in before, but the one that came out. Yeah. 
right. Um, I know I'm, I, I quit doing the, the next week uh, chapters, but next week we do have, uh, you know, like I said, friends on. But there's one chapter. They're doing three, by the way, next week. But we don't have a choices this book at all. Um, but but one of the chapters next week is questions. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we get answers in that chapter, yeah. Ooh, maybe. <laughs> I maybe can't handle means, any more questions. Maybe I have enough questions. questions will be answered. <laughs> well, if we're getting answers in the questions chapter, I hope it's a long one. But if we're getting more questions, I hope it's a short one. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the next chapter actually has one of the favorite scenes in the fandom, so it's going to be fun. We're, we're excited. You guys are going to enjoy it. Yeah. Anything else uh, before I do a wrap-up? Wrap it up, bro. All right. How we can be found at The Wheel Reads on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those great places are not so great places. I don't know. Depends on how you look at it. Um, the, so, the social media world. We're not on LinkedIn. We're not in some other places. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make a LinkedIn page. Um, so, um, maybe Snapchat. Maybe I can do that. Um, but, uh, does anybody use Snapchat still? I don't know. Um, the kids. The kids do. The kids. Um, let's see. Uh, what else is there? At the Will Reads. Are the Will Reads at gmail.com is our email. www.thewillreads.com is our website. Like I said, we're two, I think, I don't know if anybody joined while we were recording, but uh, we were two away from, I don't think anybody did, uh, from the 400 number on Discord. Um, yeah, so um, it's always nice to have more people in there. Um, I, I'm enjoying that a lot. We have a lot of first-time readers, and some of them have been posting a lot. Uh, we encourage them to post as much as possible because we like to live vicariously through our first-time readers, including Ian and Chris. Um, hence why this podcast does what it does. <laughs> um, but, uh, also Patreon is how we can support us. As I said, in the beginning of this episode, um, it's a great way to support us. It helps with, uh, doing the giveaways and new equipment, um, uh, which is what you're listening to me on now. And we'll feature listening to Ian Chris on. And, um, yeah, that's, that's about all I got. Yeah. Merchandise. We have that too. Go check it out. Good cool merch. We give it away sometimes. But you can go buy it if you don't want to wait for a giveaway. And um, that's all I got for this week, guys. Anything from you guys? Until next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See you all next time. <laughs>